Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Resource Insider Podcast. And for the first time in, I think it must be two months now, I have escaped my living room and I am in somebody else's office. And uh, I don't know, I'm filled with excitement and terror to be out of the house. And we're talking today with someone I've been wanting to talk to for months now. Uh, and his name is Jack Lundeen. He is the CEO of a company called Bluestone Resources. You might recognize the Lundeen uh, if you've been following the Lundeen name, rather, if you've been following mining for some time now. Uh, Jack is the son of Lucas Lundeen, one of the best known mining entrepreneurs and company builders in the industry. So we're going to talk today about what he's doing at Bluestone and what got him here and, and all the rest. So Jack, thanks for taking some time out of your day. Hey, Jamie, thanks a lot for having me. And uh, it should be worth noting that uh, we're social distancing, even though we're in the same office. Yeah, that's true. We are at least six or seven feet apart. Um, so, Jack, let's start talking for a second about Bluestone and what it is. You've been you've come on as the CEO relatively recently. Am I right on that? Yeah, that's correct. I joined Bluestone officially on January 28th of this year. So uh, coming in on around, you know, three months just over three months with uh, with the company. And uh, prior to that, I was with Lundin Gold. So for those who've never heard of Bluestone before, can you give us the 30,000 foot view of what it is and what you guys are doing there? Yeah, so Bluestone Resources is a single asset company with a gold project, high-grade underground gold project in southern Guatemala, the Cerro Blanco Gold Project. So we picked that up in May 2017 from Gold Corp. And for the past three years, three plus years, we've been focusing on bringing the project, adv advancing the project from where it was. There was a PEA that went out on it, and now we've got a feasibility study that was released in January. Uh, the economics on that are very robust. Uh, very high margins. It's a low-cost operating mine, but uh, it's also a very high-grade mine, around 10 gram per ton resource. And so the work that's been done on that project uh, from, from Gold Corp uh, and to where we are today with the advancement that we've done with the infill drilling uh, and the infrastructure that's already in place, we believe that this is a near-term producer. So right now we're, we're advancing basic engineering, uh, and towards the end of the year we'll be looking at uh, starting our early works um, campaign and then going into our construction phase in the first half of next year. So a lot's going on in terms of de-risking the project, um, but you know when, when we get into that first full year of production, we're going to be producing more uh, free cash flow in the first full year of production than the, the market cap of the company today. And that's at around $1,500 gold price with that estimation. So at $1,700, the economics go through the roof. So you're a mining engineer by training. Uh, you're someone who has a lot of options when it comes to the mining industry of where you could end up and what you could do. Why be the CEO of this company? What, what was it that attracted you specifically about this when you could have stayed in the Lundin group of companies or, or done anything else? Why, why do this? Well, look, I mean, I'm, I'm always focused on, on going where the opportunity is. Uh, you know, working with Lundin Gold and on the development of the Fruta del Norte project in, in southern Ecuador, spent almost four years with the company. And, you know, we developed a, a really good model for project execution. And 
the the team that I was working with there during the project phase are, are now looking for something new. The family has been a big supporter of Bluestone and, and really believe in the Cerro Blanco project. And so it just seemed like a natural step to go from looking at the success successful build of, of FDN and uh, really trying to replicate that and jumping to the next project being, being Cerro Blanco. It's smaller in size, but it's similar in grade. Uh, there's more infrastructure in place than there was at Fruta del Norte when we got there. And the, the mine is more socialized to the local community. Um, so there's areas where I'd say we're at a head start as mm -hmm. compared to FDN. There's a lot of synergies between both projects, but there's a lot of you know differences as well. And so we're, we're looking at applying a similar execution approach. Um, but, you know, the gold market is hot as well, and you know, the the focus for for us is to to look at you know replicating the success and, and building more gold companies. And so Bluestone definitely has that uh, potential, and there's a lot of momentum here that we want to build on. You know, if I'm being honest, I gotta say Guatemala has been basically entirely off my mental map for the mining industry. It's not something I've ever put a lot of thought into. Are there? I mean, I imagine a lot of people are in the same boat as me. Is this a a easy jurisdiction to work in? Is this uh, challenging? What, what what have you found it to be like there so far? Uh, of course, and I mean that's a good question. Every jurisdiction has its uh, you know complexities, mm -hmm. and so Guatemala, you know this this year in January they swore in their new government, so new president, new cabinet, and um, they campaigned uh, last year on a pro business platform. And yes, there's been troubles with the the Escobal mine, and that's kind of a high profile project that's received yeah. quite a lot of negative attention um, in the in the mining space and and just to international investors in general. Um, however. The first thing that I did when I joined uh, Bluestone is, is I was able to get down to Guatemala and meet the vice president, meet the minister of mining, minister of environment, and talk with them about our process, what we want to do, um, and, and in terms of, of our approach, which is formulating a partnership with the national and the local governments and making sure that we educate them and work with them and get their opinions on how we can responsibly and efficiently develop Cerro Blanco. And so we're in a different location in the country. Yeah. Um, and and the, the town in which we're working in so far to date has, has good support for the project. So we're leveraging off of all of that. And uh, there's a lot of you know work to be done, but we're off to a good start in terms of building the relationship with that new incoming government. You know, as I think about it, and as we talk about it, the Lunding Group in general has a pretty incredible track record of getting shit done in countries that almost nobody else can. I mean, I even think of uh, Fruto del Norte, right? It was in the hands of Kinross for years and years and years, and they really struggled uh, with challenges with the Ecuadorian government. And you guys acquired it, and things have gone, I don't know if I, much better, right, since that time. Is this something you guys talk about internally as a group, how to work in challenging jurisdictions, how to work in developing countries and make sure you can get communities and governments and all these things on side? Is this a lot of focus going into that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my family's been in this business for four decades, over four decades. And so, you know, we're not scared of going into jurisdictions that others may find too risky or unable to to negotiate with governments because we believe you know the approach that we take is we're going into a country as guests and it is their deposit it is their minerals um you know it belongs to them and we're basically contractors helping them to to monetize and uh, provide 
economic benefits into the region and where into the country where these projects are. And so our, our focus is to really, as I was saying, you know, partner up and, and show that, you know, eventually for us with, with Cerro Blanco, we, we will have a significant amount of expatriates working to, to get the project through the development phase, but we're also going to be working on succession planning and training up the Guatemalan workforce so that one day, mm-hmm. you know, this can be uh, ran and operated by, you know, mostly all uh, nationals. And so that's, that's the focus for us. Um, and along the way, you create value for shareholders, you create value for everybody involved, but, you know, you're really creating value and benefits for the people that are, that are in the area. And so our focus is really to do things responsibly. Uh, and, and that sustainability aspect of the business is, is of, you know, critical importance. And I think what we do is we leverage off of what's been done on the oil and gas side. ESG for for funds and for investors is is much more of a focus on the oil and gas is side. It, uh, is it much more rigorous? You find it, it is for in terms of attracting or getting investment. And so we we follow the same approach in terms of focusing on that ESG aspect in the mining business because you know without having that under control and without you know working with the local communities and, and establishing things in a responsible way, then there's no way you'll be able to advance the project. And it's not just yeah. it's not just advancing the project, building the mine, producing the mine, and then and then going away when it's when it's you know in reclamation phase. We want to put things in place so it's sustainable, f- so that you know the societies can prosper be well beyond the mine is shut down. And so that's what we work on. We have the Lundin Foundation that's very supportive with that, and they work with most of the companies in the Lundin group of companies. And so I think that's been a very big key to our success, especially in Ecuador and what we're going to be doing in Guatemala. Have you found uh, over the last several years that the mining industry and the projects you're involved with have been getting more pressure from the big uh, funds and capital allocators around the world to be focused on ESG. Are you? I've talked to lots of people about this, and uh, you know the CEOs and uh, and the entrepreneurs I've talked to have said these are questions that are getting more and more and more that didn't even come up five ten years ago. Yeah, I mean definitely. I think the focus is is pivoting more towards the the social and environmental side of it. Um, you can't forget about the technical aspect and you can't forget about the economics, but you you know those are two things that have to be overcome as yeah. well. Understanding that the project economics are there, the asset is is world class or the asset is is robust enough that you know we can get it into production and generate value because that's the whole purpose. But then you know, hand in hand and of equal importance is yeah, making sure that the, the environmental social government side of things is, is uh, you know, moving along and advancing with everything else in, in the business. Yeah, it does seem to be, uh, particularly in Latin America, the area where companies most often fail, where, you know, things most often go wrong. So you've got, what, three brothers, right? That is correct. You're all in mining you know, or mining finance of some sort. Yep. Was there any ever any question about you going into mining, or was that uh, <laughs> sort of written in the stars from birth? Well, actually, so one of my brothers is uh, is a petroleum engineer working in the oil and gas side. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my brothers has his own fund, and he's focused on natural resource investment. But um, you know, for us, it just came naturally. We weren't forced into doing anything, but uh, you know, all of the discussions we'd have in our family during holidays, during vacations, whenever we'd be seeing our cousins, it just naturally would be talking about 
the natural resource industry. We'd get to travel to interesting places in the world. And so we were exposed that I was exposed at a young age to seeing projects, uh, you know, going underground, mm-hmm. looking at exploration, looking at, you know, different kind of areas of the world and how you can, uh, you know, generate value by mining oil and gas and just natural resource extraction. And so um, for me, when I was, you know, late teens, early 20s, I was, you know, open to, you know, doing my undergrad, I was open to looking at different things. Mm-hmm. But um, I just naturally got pulled back into kind of the, the natural resource sector, because it, it's so exciting. And there's there, you know, there is, um, there is a need for, for younger people to get into this business. Yeah. So why engineering? There are easier ways to get into the mining industry. I did an engineering degree. It's a lot of work. <laughs> well, uh, to be honest, I started with business administration. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I focused on that and I was kind of finding myself uh, struggling with the technical courses with maths and sciences when I was growing up. So I did business administration uh, and then I worked for two years in, in Norway. Uh, for Lundin Petroleum, and I was working in the commercial department and, mm-hmm. and doing economic analysis and, and engaging with geologists and engineers. And I, I felt really strongly that I was lacking that technical language and understanding. And, and at that time, I, I developed much more interest in the in the technical side. So I went back and did engineering. Uh, and I, I'm really happy that I did because you have to understand that that language um, and you can develop it in other ways. But for me, I thought understanding it by going and, and taking those courses and studying and, and then, you know, engaging with engineers, you know, and peers at, at that level uh, really helped with my confidence and under, understanding of the business. Yeah, it, it's hard to learn that stuff without sort of starting at first principles and really building up that base of knowledge and spending time on sites and, and all the rest. So was Fruit of the Norte with Lundin Gold, was that the first... Um, job like the site the first site you worked on out of engineering school or were there things in between there so i've i've worked in the field um and i've worked you know many summers in in the field doing more kind of exploration prospecting jobs Mm -hmm. uh and then when i was in norway you know we had offshore exploration um but i was mainly focused uh, working in the office and and following up on targets uh through through office work and so with Fruta del Norte actually living at site, doing a rotation for three years um, down there. That was my first kind of full-fledged uh, uh, FIFO fly-in, fly-out uh, job. Yeah. Um, and, you know, fortunately for me, I got to see that from uh, early works phase through, um, you know, project development and into early part of operation. And so my last rotation down at Fruta was in January, and then I, I moved back to Vancouver and... Uh, started the next week at uh, at the Bluestone office. And so, you know, just hit the ground running with this and really excited about what's been going on with Bluestone Resources over the past few months. So a lot of people listening to this podcast are retail investors. Uh, some have invested extensively in the mining industry, some not at all. But I know many, many are thinking right now they want exposure to gold and uh, they want exposure to commodities. Why is uh, Bluestone a good option for that? Um, you know, you've got a lot, there's a lot of different gold companies out there. You guys are at the development stage now. Why, why would someone invest in Bluestone uh, versus a, a London Gold, for example? That's a good question. So what I would do is I would direct anybody to the corporate presentation and the slide in the corporate presentation that shows the project economics of Cerro Blanco mm-hmm. um, to see that it's a relatively low capex at 200 million U.S., 
uh, we're working on extending the mine life. The mine life that went into the feasibility study was eight years. Uh, because of its high-grade nature, because of the development that's already existing, there's three kilometers of underground development there. Um, you know, we're going to be getting this project into production in a relatively quick timeline. So the project economics are e extremely robust. And what that does, as well as that construction timeline, is, you know, when you're a single asset developer and you get into production and you meet your milestones, you meet your timelines, you stay on budget uh, and you deliver on what you've what you've put your name on, then you get into a position where you're no longer a developer, you're a producer. Mm -hmm. And you get put into a basket of peers that are producing companies. And naturally what happens is your your value or your share price gets re-rated. Yeah. And so we're looking at getting into that re-rated potential. Uh, there's, a, there's a strong re-rate potential here. If, if we're able to put uh, Cerro Blanco into production by the end of 2022, that's, you know, kind of two short years away from now where we'll be looked at as a producing company. And so between now and then, there'll be a lot of catalysts for us. We've got really attractive drill targets, um, you know, in the immediate area of Cerro Blanco, but also the nature of the Cerro Blanco deposit. Um, it shows that when you get deeper underground uh, and you kind of understand the mineralization of the low sulfidation epithermal deposit and the gold that's locked up in quartz veins, we're always looking for, for new veins and extending that resource. And so um, I think there are a lot of catalysts along the way to get us into uh, production. So... Now, do you think uh, Bluestone, is it destined to stay as a single-asset company? Is it set to be acquired? Is it looking to expand and acquire other assets throughout Guatemala or Latin America or where have you? Yeah, so we're, we're always looking at growing. Um, we don't intend to be a single-asset company forever. Uh, the focus right now is, is Cerro Blanco and getting this thing into development and mm -hmm. ultimately into production. Um, we're going to be following up on a, attractive exploration targets in the concession. Uh, I, I'd really like to kind of grow our business in Guatemala. I think there's a lot of potential there to to further expand our, our portfolio in, in that country. And I think, you know, once we can deliver Cerro Blanco on time and on budget, we'll be looking at, you know, the potential for, for acquisitions or mergers or what have you. But uh, I think organic growth is, is the focus for, for Cerro Blanco or for, yeah. for Bluestone Resources. Yeah, when I was at, you know, Equinox, Ross Beatty's sort of focus was almost totally on scale, 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 build it up to a size where uh, you know the ET you will be listed on the ETFs and the, you get to take advantage of all the passive investing that's going on in the world right now and getting those big re-ratings you sort of uh, spoke about earlier. For Blue Nose, where is most of the money coming from? Who's been financing it and supporting it to date? So right now, Blue Nose. Sorry, apologies. <laughs> Blue Stone. Blue no Stone. problem. I was gonna let you go on that one, but <laughs> no, no problem. So so right now, I mean the. The, the Lundin family is the biggest supporter. We've got, after this last equity raise that we did, um, you know, it was closed a week ago. We were able to raise $92 million Canadian uh, through a bot deal. Um, so that was oversubscribed, right? Oversubscribed. We right? were going for 80, 15% green shoe, um, and that was fully oversubscribed, overallocated in basically the first four hours of it going live. So, I mean, our marketing and our, our story is resonating, evidently. Um, but... Uh, 
the the Lundin family is big supporters, uh, about 28% of the outstanding shares. CD Capital is also a big supporter, mm-hmm. and this is a resource fund that was uh, that that's out of uh, the UK. They've they've supported uh, Lundin Gold and the Lundin Group of companies, and so we're. And Carmel's on the board of yes, Lundin Mining or uh, Lundin Gold. Lundin Gold. Yes. Yeah. Right. Carmel Daniel's a good supporter, good friend. Um, and uh, management controls a significant amount of uh, outstanding shares, and so it's it's quite a tight share structure. But on this last raise, we were able to get uh, some new, uh, pretty good, reputable firms uh, investing in the company, and so we we've got further support from our existing shareholders and and new shareholders that we're very fortunate to have, um, and excited for them to be in the in the Bluestone story. So um, so we're 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 really happy with kind of our our shareholder structure. Good. I think one of the last things I want to touch on is how uh, how has COVID-19 impacted the project? And I mean, mining companies all over the world are impacted to varying degrees. What what are you guys doing in country? Is uh, development still ongoing or has it been a complete shutdown? Yeah, and that's an important point to bring up because that really is what kind of sets Bluestone Resources apart from our peers. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're in this project phase where we need to be doing uh, advanced engineering, so basic engineering, and a lot of this work can be done through desktop or, or you know, remotely, um, essentially in isolation. Uh, we we're talking through video conferencing and and WhatsApp and emails and all of that stuff. And I mean, we're a lean organization, so communications hasn't been hindered. Um, but uh, Guatemala. They did a very good job early on on taking this pandemic very seriously. They shut down the borders. They restricted interstate travel. They put out some guidelines that you know are you know almost impossible to be misinterpreted by the local communities or by the by the nationals of, of Guatemala. So things like curfew um, restrictions on if you're under an a under a certain age yeah. uh, or over a certain age, you cannot um, you cannot go out of your house. But basically, they 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 curbed the potential spread, and so I think there's around 800 active cases today, about you know under 25 deaths associated to, to COVID-19. Um, but those those um, strict measures they put in place right away means that they're now in a position to slowly start to open up things in the country. And for us, uh, we've always had permits to continue with our activities. Our main activity being our infill drilling campaign, mm-hmm. but we wanted to show unity with the, what the government was doing. So in mid March, we ramped down with our site activities, going to basically care and maintenance, essentially just dewatering, water treatment, safety, and security on site. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're we're slowly starting to ramp back up with our infill drilling campaign. Um, so we're you know we're working on that staged approach of getting back into you know normal activities however throughout this whole period we've been advancing with our basic engineering um, and so you know we're still de-risking the project while many others are having to just fully halt operations yeah. oh good you know something else i wanted to ask you about um and, and this project in particular is that and correct me if i'm wrong here it was initially founded by the discovery group is that right that is correct. Yep. So, so Bluestone Resources, um, it actually has quite a long history, and it was uh, founded by uh, the cha- current chairman of, of Bluestone, who's John Robbins. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, a discovery group company that uh, has now, you know, it was John's vision to kind of 
go and scanning for for projects that he could put into Bluestone at the time. It was a shell uh, shell company, and and so fortunately for for all of us involved, he he was able to to find the Sarah Blanco project uh, through previous transaction that he had done with Goldcorp, huh. um, and so that kind of came to came on the radar, and and he talked with the the Lundin family with my dad about you know, the potential here. And I think they all did a site visit and saw that there was, you know, indeed uh, some strong potential for this project. And so that's when we came in on the initial funding to finance the the acquisition. Have the Lundins and, and John worked together on past projects? Or is this uh, is this the first time to get, to get in? Uh, not not as other. extensively as yeah. we're working together on this one. But um, of course, I think, you know, in the history of, of uh, their their careers my dad and, and john i think they've crossed paths before and i think uh, the family has invested in in uh, john's companies in the past but there are you know yeah. it's a small industry and so people so tend to kind hard of to not to get to know everyone exactly sooner or later yeah. especially when you've been at this for decades yeah that's right so so i think you know we've got a strong relationship there and uh you know looking to build on that by turning sarah blanco into a successful mining story all right uh you know i think to finish it off i'd just like to ask You've got a lot of experience uh, in the mining space and I guess the natural resource space in general. Is there anything you're thinking about now outside of the companies you're running about how you're investing or opportunities you're looking at? Um, um, I mean, that's a good question. I yeah. mean, I've been so busy just focusing on, on Cerro Blanco and, and Bluestone. Um, but obviously, when you're seeing what's going on in the world with how quickly, you know, the global economy basically shut down and the the drop off in in uh, in uh, equity prices over you know in in March and and how it bounced back so quickly I think that that's shocked everybody um, yeah. people talk about you know a V shaped recovery or W shaped recovery or you know a bounce back or you know thinking that this is going to be uh, not not um, long lived in terms of that recovery that we've seen like today the Nasdaq is now on the year in in the positive so yeah. they're up year to date um and there's been but there's been so much economic destruction that it's hard to believe that these stock prices are going to hold well, it's like something like 10 percent of the united states is unemployed right now yeah i think uh, more there are more more americans unemployed today than there are canadians <laughs> in the world yeah yeah well and, the new york times i think it was today said more unemployment than in the great depression yeah, uh, I feel like that can't be per capita. That must be like total number of people, but still, it's no, it's 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 really weird to see what's to going see the on. The stock market just yeah ripping away like business as usual. I don't know. And so, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've 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 been following the stock market. I haven't really been playing it too much, but uh, interesting to see what's going to be happening. I hope that you know global economic activity can pick up. It's been devastating for millions of people, and it's it's terrible to see the the destruction of wealth in the world, but I, I really hope that uh, resilience will prevail and, and people will, and, and the, the global economy will get back to normal. I mean, we have to, right? And so mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see how that, how that pans out. But uh, for now, it's just focusing on controlling what we can control and, um, and working to mitigate any uh, headwinds that may come at us in the future. Jack, thank you very much for taking the time today. You bet. Thanks, Jamie. And for everyone listening at home, check out Bluestone Resources and Jack Lundin. Jack, what's the ticker? The BSR. BSR on the TSXV. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and uh, you'll hear from me soon.